our Matthew series, and I'm, I'm super stoked about today's message because this is one of my favorite sections in Matthew um, because it kind of reveals uh, something that each one of us uh, kind of struggle with. This is one of those topics that a lot of people don't like to talk about, but we, we do struggle with it. And, and, and as Kevin said, the, the title of today's message is When in Doubt. Now, our series we're in is called Starting Points, and the reason we called it that was this is, uh, this is when Jesus is actually kind of establishing starting points in ministry. And he, like, for instance, he's already sent uh, his disciples out, and he's, he's, res- he's assigned them responsibilities. So uh, today we're going to see that Jesus is dealing with some common problems that happen when ministry begins. I mean, very common problems. And I'll be honest with you, the problem that we're going to discuss today, and, and, and when I say ministry, I mean personal or corporate, but the problem we're going to talk about today is how to combat doubt, the doubt that sets in when adversity comes. Because sometimes right in the midst of adversity, right in the midst of our struggles, right, right in the middle of all that, doubt starts to creep in. We may actually even start doubting our faith. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. Satan wants that so bad because he knows that a believer who is doubting, yes, they're still a believer, but they're totally ineffective. They can't sell strong faith if they don't have strong faith at that moment. So what we're going to see today is that the trick is not to allow adversity to hinder your faith, right? Now, here's the one thing I want you to all remember, is when someone is making an impact, that's when the enemy really attacks you. Sometimes I think we forget that. Listen, if you were of no threat to the enemy at all, if you were completely ineffective, one of those believers that's just content to be a seat filler, you know what I mean, Uh, and keeps your faith silent and and, and isn't passionate about their faith, he's probably not going to attack you too much because you're just not a threat. But when your ministry, your personal or corporate ministry starts to impact people's lives, that's when the attack begins. And it can happen to absolutely anyone. Today we're going to see it even happen to John the Baptist. So let's jump in. Okay, Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says, when Jesus had uh, finished giving these instructions, remember last week he assigned them to their different responsibilities. Uh, When he had finished giving these instructions to his 12 disciples, he went out to teach and preach in the towns throughout the region. Now, I love this because Jesus, unlike many leaders, wasn't afraid to roll up his sleeves and get busy. Now, have you ever worked for that boss that is great at telling you what to do, but you don't ever see him really doing anything? Anybody ever work for that guy? You know what I mean? Any of you happen to be that guy? I mean, some of you are going, well... That's, it's frustrating when you feel like your leader isn't personally involved. They're not willing to get in there right beside you and just dig in and get to work. But, but Jesus says, listen, I need you to get out and get busy. And as soon as he sends them out, he starts to get busy. I love this. Because one thing I think we always forget is that, listen, when we're working hard, he's working even harder. Every time when, when we're working hard, he's working harder, right? Because, listen... Jesus never assigns us a task that he won't help us be successful at, that he's not willing to come alongside us and walk with us through and guide us through and show us paths to success in. So when he tells us to do something, he's going to get, I mean, roll up his sleeves and get right in there with us. Like, for instance, if you, if you put someone on your heart, have you ever had somebody just come on your heart that you just feel like God wants you to talk to? Anybody ever had that feeling? It kind of... It kind of feels weird, doesn't it? Because you're thinking, okay, they're going to think I'm nuts if I come up out of nowhere and just start talking to them and saying, you know, because, you know, the enemy's trying to stop you from doing that. But just remember, whenever he gives you a ministry, he's working too. If he sends you to someone, he's already working on them and prepping them for you to come to them. 
He's not just standing back saying, go out and do this on your own. He's going to jump into that with you. But let's move on here. Matthew chapter 11, starting verse 2. It says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, that's important, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus. Now listen to this. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? (laughs) Does that sound like doubt to you? Does that sound like doubt had crept in? Because I'm talking, he flat out just asked them, am I back in the wrong horse here? Did I get behind the wrong guy? Is that what's going on? See, John was in this difficult situation, a situation that would test anybody's faith. It would test anyone's faith. See, John was in prison for warning the king not to marry his (laughs) sister-in-law. I mean, you would think you wouldn't need to warn somebody about that. You know, I see everybody out there going, oh, thinking about their sister-in-law. I'm just saying. He warned him. He said, listen, it's not right for you to have. I know you guys got to get that thought out your head right now. But, you know, John was saying, listen, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. Look at this. Mark 6, starting verse 17, says, For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. There's a hot name for a chick. As a favor to Herodias. Can you imagine that? Herodias. Uh, She had been uh, his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. John had been telling Herod, it's against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. Okay, it's not like he was insulting him. He was just giving him some pretty solid advice. Even if it wasn't spiritual advice, you'd think it'd be kind of moral or cultural advice, but he says it's against God's law. You can't marry your sister's wife, and for that he gets thrown into prison. Okay, for just telling the truth. Now think about this for a second. John was the first prophet of God in 400 years. So I'd say he's a pretty important figure in Bible history, wouldn't you think? I mean, pretty important. And now this prophet is sitting in jail for telling the truth. He's sitting in jail for telling someone not to marry his sister-in-law. I mean, that would shake you. We're talking, this is the forerunner of Christ, the same one, The same one who baptized Jesus. Yet despite all that faithfulness and all the sacrifices that he had made, he was thrown in jail for just telling the truth. I mean, let's be honest, that would make anyone question their faith a little bit, wouldn't it? I mean, wouldn't you just kind of think to yourself, seriously? I mean, seriously, I have had nothing of my own. I have given my whole life to you. I have proclaimed the truth. I have fully submitted to the ministry of God and... I am sitting in jail for telling truth, sitting in prison, waiting to die because I told the truth. I mean, this had to be a a faith-shaking moment. So in this moment of weakness, John sends his disciples to Jesus to ask that question, are you really him? And it was kind of, he was kind of being a baby. Let's not spiritualize that any, okay? I mean, think about it for a second. He was probably sitting there pouting and mad. And so... He sends them to him and is like, what he meant to say probably was, yeah, um, are you sure you're the Messiah? Because you'd think the Messiah wouldn't let his prophet sit in jail for telling some creeper not to marry his sister-in-law. You know, he was probably upset, probably a little frustrated. Have you ever been kind of frustrated like that and, and been kind of babyish with God? I mean, let's just be honest. Let's have that moment of cleansing, Okay. Let's just have that moment of cleansing, because here's John the Baptist. 
who just questioned the Messiah, the same one who saw the Trinity come together in one place. Did you think about that? When he baptized Jesus, he has God the Son that he's about to immerse. And God the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove, and the voice of God says, this is my beloved Son. I mean, I don't see anyone else in Scripture that got to see that. And yet, he's going through this moment of doubt, and he's kind of, you know, starting to be a baby. Right? Have you ever had that moment where you've been a baby? And it, sometimes it's over little things. I, I hear someone in here is a liar. Anyway, and no, I'm just kidding. No, but if, I'm, I mean, you, you kind of pout a little bit about what's going on. I mean, maybe you get a flat. Yeah, that's our prison. Right? We get a flat, and you're like, seriously, God? After all I've done, I get a flat. God's going, don't drive over nails. I don't know what to tell you. You know? I mean, we all have moments where we become a baby like this, and this is the man who saw the Trinity in one place, and yet he still has this doubt. Now, wouldn't you think that this would probably make Jesus angry? I mean, that sounds like one of those things that would make him angry, doesn't it? I mean, like, seriously, you saw all of us, the entire Godhead before you. You've seen the blessings we've put in your life. You would think Jesus would go, you know what, you punk? (laughs) I don't deserve this from you. I mean, this is kind of scary, right? But I think how Jesus responded to John's crisis of faith is kind of surprising, and it's really actually kind of comforting. Look at Matthew eleven four. 4. It says, Jesus told them, go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news or the, the gospel. Let's try not to be the morning crowd. The good news or the or the gospel, the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Okay, now, did he lash out in anger? Did he say, you go tell John he's a punk. You go tell John to suck it up. I'm about to go to the cross and he's whining about jail. Tell him to suck it up. No, he didn't lash out in anger. He didn't say, that's it. I am smiting you. I'm pronouncing judgment on you. He didn't do any of that. He didn't do that. You'd think that's what he'd do, but he didn't do that. Instead, he says, go and tell John that all God's work's being done. And he gives him examples. All these things that was prophesied to happen when the Messiah comes are being done and are still being done, even with him sitting in jail. Let him know that God's work cannot be stopped. And the reason he did this was he wanted to encourage John and strengthen his faith during this time of struggle. Right now, one of the things that that people say, and I'm just going to throw this in because I got the mic. But here's the thing that kind of gets me is some people always say, listen, I don't. As soon as you stop believing, as soon as you start to doubt and and your faith wavers, you're no longer saved. Anybody ever heard that? Or I ask somebody, I say, do you believe you can lose your salvation? Because obviously I don't because, you know, the Bible doesn't teach it. But anyway, and they say, no, I don't think you can unless you stop believing. I'm going, seriously. And then I always go back to this passage. Because there's no more, there's no more evidence of anyone else losing faith like this. To where you actually ask the Messiah, are you him? And yet Jesus encourages him. He doesn't pronounce judgment on him. So that theory, guess it's wrong, huh? It's not about what we can do, it's about what he did. But anyway, I threw that in on the side. 
So I just got to ask you, have you ever had something happen to you that shook your faith? How many people in here have had a faith-shaking experience? You don't have to tell me unless you really want to. Okay. It happens. It happens. Maybe you suffer the loss of someone close to you, a child, a spouse, a parent, a friend, whatever it may be. And during that time of pain, during that time of suffering, the baby kind of comes out in us a little bit, doesn't it? Like, why did you have to take them? Why did you do? And then we start, and the next thing you know, we're being a baby and our faith is shaken, right? Our faith is shaken. I'm not going to lie. I, I was a, a young pastor at the time. I like to think I still am and don't crush my hopes. But, um, and my wife was giving birth to our first child. And I've told this story many times. And um, in the midst of this procedure, I'm sitting with her in, in, in the recovery room. And we have this beautiful baby girl. And you know me, I was bawling. Like, I mean, just, you, <laughs> I'm not even going to go there because I know what you guys are thinking. But anyway, um, I was just, you know, at the, I was so happy and feeling so blessed. And all of a sudden I looked and I noticed the blood pressure monitor kept going down. And so I asked the nurse, you know, you know, I'm not a doctor. I'm like, uh, is, that a, is that a bad thing? Oh, that's normal. And she kept walking. And then it kept falling. And I go, hey, um, is, that, is that a good thing? I mean, oh, it's, it's totally fine. It finally dropped to like 90 over 60 or something. And, you know, I, like I said, I'm not a doctor, but I know that's not good. And so, you know, I said, hey, somebody, please stop and pay attention. This can't be good. And then everybody rushes in, and she almost died that night. They even came to me and told me, we don't know if she's going to make it through the night. And when you're 26 years old, you're not ready to hear that. Your first child is laying in the nursery. That what, what should be the most, the most enjoyable time in my life, I hear that news. And I was walking down the hallway with my dad. And he knew what I was feeling. And I didn't, I mean, I was trying not to verbalize it, but I felt like God was letting me down. Has anybody ever been there? I felt like he was letting me down. You know, and, and it just came out. I'm walking down the hallway, and I said, what a crock. And it just happened, you know. And I'll never forget, my dad looks at me, and he says, careful, son. And I said, what do you mean? He said, he said, careful, God's got this. Just be careful what you say. And, and it made me think. So I prayed. And when I say I prayed, I... I don't know if you've ever been to the point where something is bothering you so bad that you wouldn't be afraid to pray at the inauguration dinner on your knees in front of the crowd. You ever been there where something's hurting you and something is troubling you and you just want, you got to pray, you know, and I prayed and people were talking to me and I wasn't listening and I was praying and I think people thought I was nuts because that's all I did was pray. I just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and they kept getting updates and I just kept praying and praying and praying and then when they came out early in the morning, and, you know, I'm going to reveal this part, which I probably shouldn't. This nurse is walking by, and I said, you got any updates on my wife? And she holds her finger up. <laughs> Wrong thing to do at that moment. You know, and being the spiritual guy I am, I said, hey, would you stop for a second? This is kind of important. And I got her attention, and she goes, oh, yeah, her clotting factors came back up. She's going to be okay. <laughs> that would have been nice to know, you know what I mean? I'm starting to feel that again. I better back off. But... The, the, just the release and the peace and the joy I felt at that moment. And I, and I was wondering to myself, thank you, Lord, but why? The next day I was sitting there and someone came up to me and said, are you the guy whose wife made it through DIC? Because evidently that a lot of people didn't at that time. And I said, yeah, yeah, I am. And they said, would you come and pray with my family 
uh, or in the ICU. Evidently, they'd seen me praying that night and didn't know why. Uh, and, and God used that, that difficult time that made me question him, that, that made me doubt him. He used that. We all have those times when our faith struggles. It happens to every one of us. You may even get a little angry with God. Anybody been angry with God before? It happens. It does happen. You know, and, and afterwards you almost feel ashamed, don't you, to, to, to pray about it. Because you know what you were feeling in your heart and you know he knows it. And you're like, how do I pray now? Three hours ago I was saying, what a crock, where are you at, God? How do I pray now? Because you're kind of, you know, ashamed at that moment. But one thing that this should prove to us is only an amazing God can love us like that, even when we doubt him as powerfully as we do some moments. Only a loving God can say, I know you're mad at me, and I know you were doubting me, and I know you may have been questioning everything you believe, but know this, I love you no matter what. I'm here for you no matter what, even when you're struggling with doubt. Because God knows our weaknesses. He knows our weaknesses. He understands that we're just human and that we get distracted. Sometimes we believe that God expects us to be perfect. If that were the case, he wouldn't have had to send his son to be perfect on our behalf, would he? He knows our weaknesses. He knows our struggles. And he loves us so much that despite us being weak and despite us having doubts, he sent his son to die for us so that we could have eternal life despite the fact that we're weak. Look at this, Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, says, So then, since we have a great high priest, that's talking about Jesus, who has, endure, uh, who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our what? Weaknesses. Understands our weaknesses. Does it say judges us for our weaknesses? Condemns us for our weaknesses? No, it says that he what? understands our weaknesses for he faced all of the same testings we do yet he did not sin so let us come what boldly to the throne of our gracious god there we will receive his mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most i love those verses i love those verses because it says god knows we make mistakes and chose to die for us anyway. He knows that we're unjust, that sometimes we look at his justice as unfair. He knows that we doubt him sometimes, but his love is greater than our weaknesses. I, I mean, I love that. John's crisis of faith proves that not only can anyone struggle with faith, not only can anyone, even John the Baptist, struggle with faith for many reasons, and, and regardless of the reason, Jesus loves you enough to understand your weakness and walk you through even the doubts you have. That is so, so powerful. Because just like I found out when that happened to my wife, that sometimes it's in our weakest moments. It's in those moments when we feel like it's all over and we're, we're struggling and, and we're doubting. It's sometimes it's in those moments that he really shines to us. And he's like, I know you're angry. I know you're doubting me, but hold on, because what's going to happen at the end of this is going to make you stronger. Just stick with me here. I got this. Look, look at Galatians 6, 9. I love this. It says, 
So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the what? At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we what? If we don't give up. If we don't give up. Listen, all we have to do is let our, our faith speak louder than our fear when we're in situations like that. And when we do, he steps up and proves his power and his love for us every time at the right time. I just think that's amazing that even our times of doubt can be a time where we get to grow closer to him, where he's going to really show off for us. It's just, it's amazing. Let's, let's keep moving on because I could preach on that for another three hours. So <laughs> next we see that Jesus is going to discuss John's character and his spiritual integrity. And I think this is really important because we have to remember that all those people that were around Jesus at that, th- at that time probably heard those questions. And John was revered as a prophet. And all of a sudden, this revered prophet sends his disciples to Jesus and says, did I back the wrong guy? And one thing Jesus didn't want anyone questioning was John's character or spiritual integrity. He wanted to make sure they understood, listen, let me tell you what John is and what John is not before you walk away from here with a judgment. The only person here who has the capability to judge him is me, and I just sent him a blessing. So let me explain to you what he is and what he is not. First, he discussed what John was not. Matthew eleven seven. it says, As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began talking about him to the crowds. What kind of man did you go into the wilderness to see? Was he a weak reed swayed by every breath of wind? Or were you expecting to see a man dressed in expensive clothes? No, people with expensive clothes live in palaces. So the first thing he says is John was not a weak man, meaning he was not easily swayed or intimidated. And if you remember, John's whole life up to this point proves that because he boldly preached the arrival of Jesus. I mean, boldly preached that, despite knowing that that was an unpopular message and quite possibly a dangerous message to be preaching. Yet he walks around proclaiming it boldly with no fear, right? And next thing Jesus says, John wasn't a rich man. He had no other agenda, See, a lot of times, the priest in that time and other people uh, of, you know, of different religious persuasions at that time would come and try to do big things, but there was always another agenda. They either wanted power, or they wanted money, or they wanted respect. John had no agenda. He was the exact opposite. He wasn't worried about respect. He wasn't worried about anything, but proclaiming Jesus was the Messiah. He was fully committed to the ministry. And I think his, his clothes and his diet kind of made that evident to people that he wasn't a rich man and he wasn't trying to gain their respect or had a personal agenda. Look at this, Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair. That makes me itch just reading it. Can you imagine? I'm kind of a diva when it comes to, you know, soft clothes. Did I just admit that openly? I did, didn't I? Yeah. I can't imagine, you know, Coarse, they even make sure to tell us, coarse camel's hair, right? And he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. Mm. And let me, let, me, let me remind you of something. This isn't some Greek trickery with the words. We're talking bugs, biggins, big bugs, dipping them like chicken nuggets. I had a 12-pack walking around dipping them. <laughs> I think it was, it was pretty obvious he wasn't a rich man. I think it was pretty obvious he had no personal agenda. Am I right? What, wearing itchy clothes and eating bugs and honey. Right? He boldly 
and unapologetically proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah in a time that it could have got him killed. John 1.29 said the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God, everybody knew what he meant when he said that. The Jews understood what he was saying. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. I did not recognize him as the Messiah, but I have been baptizing with water so that he might be revealed to Israel. So this is huge. Jesus was saying that John's moment of weakness, listen, John's moment of weakness did not define him. And he wanted everybody to know before they walked away, listen, don't start spreading your rumors. Don't start gossiping. The man that you perceived as a powerful prophet, the man that you perceived as a, as a dedicated committed man of God is exactly that and this one moment of weakness does not define his entire life it's a moment of weakness and I'll send these words to strengthen him and he's going to be just fine so understand this did not define him you know what that tells us that our moments of weakness don't have to what define us they don't have to define us and often it's us defining ourselves we are ashamed because we had moments of weakness so we back off of praying and back off of going to church and all the things the enemy's given us advice to do and we're listening, right? Listen, that moment of weakness doesn't define you. I've had people come to me with some serious sin problems in their life, with some serious faith problems in their life, and one thing I always try to tell them is, listen, I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to look down on you. You know why? Because I make mistakes too. You know why? Because we serve a passionate, compassionate, loving forgiving God who will not allow this to define you if you'll allow him to take over in this moment of weakness this doesn't have to define us it only defines us if we allow it to I love how Jesus said this all right I mean I just love this remember when John was facing doubt what did he do uh, yes he doubted him yes he said are you sure you're the one but notice what he did when he was facing doubt he took it to Jesus right so yeah he was having some faith issues but he still knew where to go when you have faith issues didn't he he took it straight to jesus when you have faith issues don't be afraid to say god i'm angry with you right now and so many people are going oh, what if lightning bolts come through the ceiling listen if he hasn't bolted you for all the other stuff you've done you're good <laughs> right listen take it to him he knows anyway i've had that prayer many times god I'm angry right now, kind of angry at you, and I know it's wrong, and I know you're right, and I know I'm wrong, and I know I'm being a baby. But I feel what I feel. Help me get through this. Because I know there's victory in here somewhere, but the, the human part of me is taking over, and I am running around in my pull-ups crying like a baby. I need you to help me get through this. I need you to walk me through this. Because, listen, it's only going to be a real problem if you don't take it to Jesus. So despite everything he did, he took it to Jesus and was... Jesus was compassionate and embraced it and sent back blessing to him. The next thing that Jesus described is who John actually was. Now look at this, Matthew eleven nine through 11. Were you looking for a prophet? Yes, and he is more than a prophet. John is the man to whom the scriptures refer to when they say, Look, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, and he will prepare your way before you, saying he was the one preparing the way for the Messiah. Verse 11, I tell you the truth. Listen, this is big. Of all who have ever lived, none is greater than John the Baptist. <laughs> none is greater than John the Baptist, yet even the least person in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. 
I, I mean, listen to that. People say that when you're in doubt, God kicks you out. Hey, that rhymes. Right? People say that when you are struggling with your faith, that God pronounces curses on you. You know what I see? I see a good man having a moment of weakness and Jesus turning around and telling everybody, don't let this define him. No man has ever been as great as that man. That is how Jesus responded to that. We're talking he was the forerunner, more than a prophet. More than a prophet. I mean, that's huge. The greatest man that ever lived. People always tell me, how can he say that? Because Jesus was a man. Yeah, but he was a little different. He was all man and all God. No comparison there. But of people who don't have the Holy Spirit as their father, that's the greatest man. Right? That's the greatest man. All right, now, I think this is awesome. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12. He's going to explain the importance of John's ministry. I love this. Eleven twelve. It says, and from that time, John the Baptist began uh, preaching until now. The king, I'm sorry, and from the time, and from the time John the Baptist began preaching into now, to, until now, shoo, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. Okay, so the time that they were living in, the time when the Messiah was on the earth, was what all the prophets of the Old Testament were waiting for they were excited for that's what they wanted to experience they didn't get to they get to see it from heaven in the box seats but they didn't get to be walking here when it happened but they look forward to the time when the messiah would be here right but the gospel was under attack because the moment he came the enemy just cranked up his attack and that started from the moment john started preaching they were the gospel was under attack right and and those opposing the gospel even resorted to violence and intimidation and I, and I think that's strange because the people that were really being violent and really intimidating were the Pharisees who were Jewish leaders, right? And the leaders of Israel who should have known all about the law and Herod who should have known all these things. These were the ones that were leading the charge. These people knew the word of God like no one else. They were charged with taking care of the word of God. If anybody should have seen the prophecies coming full in Jesus, it should have been these people. But instead, they were intimidating and imprisoning people and killing people for being his followers. That's what they were doing. All to keep people from believing in this kingdom message. Now, who do you think was orchestrating that? That's the enemy. That's the enemy that was orchestrating that. Look at this, Matthew 23, 13. I love what Jesus says here. He says, What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, you won't go in yourselves, and you don't let others enter either. This is what they were facing at that time. Yet, despite all these attempts to silence the gospel, Jesus is saying, listen, they're trying their best to silence it, but it cannot be silenced. It was rapidly spreading. And all of his followers were gladly enduring the persecution because they knew God's power, and they believed that God was going to work through it, even if they had to suffer a little bit. See, they knew that God always wins. You know something I think we forget in the modern era? I honestly believe this. I think we've forgotten this in the modern era. We know how this story ends. Do we forget that? This isn't some mystery novel where we don't know the ending. What's going to happen? Who did it? Listen, we know what happens. Listen, if you haven't read the end of it, spoiler alert, God wins. And because God wins, we win. So we know that no matter what they do to us, they are not going to win. 
We win because he wins. And sometimes I think we forget that. If we know that, why would we give up? Why would we give in to fear? Why would we give in to doubt? If we know, if we know good and well that we win, why are we going into this battle with a defeated attitude? I don't understand it. But when that attitude comes, there is hope in Jesus. Now let's move on because the last thing John says probably really surprised everybody. This is kind of a big one. Matthew eleven fourteen and 15. And he says, and if you are willing to accept what I say, he, John the Baptist, is Elijah. Do you hear that? He is Elijah, the one, uh, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. See, Malachi prophesied that Elijah would come again and announce the king. Okay, if you look at Malachi chapter 4, starting in verse 5, he says, Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So what Jesus was saying here was that John was the fulfillment of that prophecy. But here's the thing you've got to watch out for. When Jesus said that John was Elijah, he didn't mean literally. He wasn't preaching reincarnation here. This isn't what he was saying. He wasn't literally saying he is Elijah. All right? What Malachi meant and what Jesus meant was that he was going to come in the spirit of Elijah. Do you understand what I'm saying? Let me explain this a little bit further. See, Elijah boldly confronted all those who tried to silence the truth of God. If you guys haven't read some of these stories in the Old Testament, you are missing out on some awesome reading. I mean some awesome reading. This guy did some funny stuff. I mean some funny stuff. He took on prophets of false gods. He took on kings and queens. One time he took on over 400 prophets, and he said, hey, I'll make you a deal. Let's build an altar, and let's call on our God, and the one that brings down fire wins. <laughs> That's confidence. That is gangster confidence right there. And so while the prophets are wailing and waiting for the fire to come down, that's never coming because nobody's on the other end of the line. He's making fun of them. One against 400 and some, and he's, he's standing over here going, hey, keep going, maybe he's in the bathroom. Seriously. He's like, maybe he's on vacation. You know, if it were in our time, he'd say, I don't know, you know, maybe he's on the internet right now. I mean, he made fun of them the whole time. Made fun of them. And it was his time to pray for fire to come down. <laughs> this is, you guys got to read this stuff. Okay, this is how bold this guy was. He's like, okay, I'll pray. But before I do, dig a trench around that altar and fill it with water. So they dug a trench and filled it with water. And he's like, yeah, now soak that wood with water. <laughs> We're getting borderline cocky here, aren't we? He's like, I'm not just going to call fire down. I'm going I'm to show you how he can burn soaked wood. Anybody ever try to start a fire with wet wood? Not fun, right? He's like, soak it. Soak it down and fill the trench. And when he prayed, fire come down and consumed it all and licked up all the water. Then he killed every one of them. <laughs> that you can't write. You cannot write. So that's like, you know, Vin Diesel type stuff right there. He was bold. He was bold and would not allow the truth to be silenced. Went nose to nose with, with false gods, prophets, and, and kings. And so what Jesus and what Malachi meant was that John was the continuation of Elijah's bold and powerful ministry. That's what he was saying. It's the continuation of it. Now, before I close, there's something I have to point out. All believers have the opportunity to have an Elijah-like ministry too. Did you know that? 
Yeah, we may not have been prophesied to have it, but we have the opportunity to have it because like Elijah, we should recognize that the gospel is too powerful to hide. It's too powerful to hide, and it's you should never be ashamed of it, never be ashamed to share it, because God still does these miraculous things, and I've witnessed it. I've seen lives turned around. I've seen marriages saved. I've seen lives saved. I've seen children that were considered completely lost and, and, and done for come back and be a, a soldier for God. He's still doing these amazing things, but he needs powerful people, bold people, to be like Elijah and John the Baptist and, and be willing to share this message, be willing to push the truth through no matter what. We have got to get it out of our mind that we only talk about Jesus in these four walls. We have got to get that out of our mind. Listen, if I had my preference, I would rather us not talk about it here if it meant you talk about it out there. Because that's where it's most important. It's most effective out there. When you take it out there and share it with everybody, that's what God intended. That's being bold. I mean, don't, don't you know people that need Jesus? Why are we afraid to talk to them about it? What are they going to do? Why are we afraid to talk to them about it? We have this amazing message, but we're just not bold enough sometimes. You know what we love to say when we don't want to say anything to them? Someone comes and says, I really wish you'd talk to my brother, and we're like, well, I'll just what? I'll pray for him. That means I'm a coward. Now you're saying, what are you saying? It's bad to pray? No, great. If you say you're going to pray for him and you do, that's amazing. Prayer is an amazing, amazing tool that God has given us. But it's just one tool. When you say, I'll pray for him, it should be followed up with, I will pray for them, I will pray about it, and I will go see them. If God opens the door, I will walk through that door. Because listen, here's what it's like. Put, put this picture in your mind and then I'll close. Imagine if there were a disease that, were kill, that was killing everybody. A terminal disease that everybody was getting and everyone that got it died. And you found the cure. And you had the cure. And you knew how to replicate it and how to make enough to, to get everyone saved from that disease. Would you seriously just sit at home and go, I'm just not good at that. And watch everyone around you die? Is that what you'd do? No, you'd want to be in the paper going, you know, holding up your vial that you invented. Listen. Sin is a terminal disease. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Listen, we have the cure for the terminal illness called sin, and the cure is Jesus. That's the cure. We have that, and we need to share that. We need to take that out there and be bold like John. And are you going to have moments of doubt? Yes. Take it to Jesus. He'll straighten you out. Trust me. Take it to Jesus and he'll, he'll show off for you during those times of doubt. But don't let doubt keep you from being bold and proclaiming the kingdom to people because that's why we're here. And every time I read about John the Baptist, every time I read those stories in the Old Testament about Elijah and all the other powerful prophets, one thing I think is, gosh, I wish people could believe they, would be, li they could be like that today. Because God's never changed, just we have. If we would accept it, it would happen. I'm going to go ahead and close there. I'm going to ask you would to please bow your heads. If this is your first time here, I say this every week, but we always like to give an invitation. And here's why. Because of what I said earlier. I have witnessed lives changed. People think miracles have to be something something that no one else has ever seen before 
someone rising from the dead. Yes, those are miracles. But let me tell you the greater miracle when a heart is changed. When someone just believes Jesus in everything he says and trusts what he promised them and they become changed forever. That's a miracle. It's a miracle that happened to me. There's people sitting all around you that that miracle has happened to. And it's a miracle I'd like to see a lot more of. If there's someone here who doesn't know Christ, I'm not going to point you out or chase you down after church. I just don't do that. But know this. I always ask that you lift your head and make eye contact with me or raise your hand and just put it right back down because everyone's head's bowed, everyone's eyes closed. But when I see those hands and when I see those faces, I pray for you. And you know what? It's deer season, so I got a lot of time in that stand. I might pray for you more than once. No, I'm just kidding. But I just want to pray for you. So if you'd like to just make eye contact with me, bless those people. Bless those people. I'm going to pray for you. And if you're listening online, bless those people. I'm going to pray for you even though I, I, I don't know you because God knows you. And believers, listen, I always pray for us too because we have such an amazing job to do. And there are so many blessings in that job. But we've got to be bold and be willing to step out and be willing to face our doubts and our fears. Yes, they're going to come. It doesn't make you evil. It makes you human. Just don't allow them to define you. As soon as you feel them, take them to God and be honest. Use normal language. Don't get all King James. Just tell them, God, I'm angry. Bless those people. I, I am angry and I need you to get me through this moment of faithlessness. I don't want this to define me. And he will get you through it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I am, I am so excited every time I think about the possibility if your people would just take this word out and share it with people. I'm, I'm amazed that you love us so much that no one is too bad for you to reach down and touch. There's no one on the face of this earth that you didn't love enough to die for. And you want to reach them, and I want all the believers to be those that carry that life-changing message out. Give us the boldness to share our faith and draw others to you. God, for those who don't know you, I'm not their judge and I'm no better than them. The difference between me and them is I believed and trusted and you gave me something I didn't deserve. I'm not better than them. I'm not more righteous. The only righteousness I have is your son living in me and I thank you for that. But I just pray, God, that that whatever it is that's holding them back, whatever it is that's hindering them, that you would just remove it because I know that you're awaiting their arrival. Your arms are wide open, ready to embrace when they're ready to believe. And I just pray they make that step. And if they do, they contact us. And if they live a long way from here, I pray they find a good Christian friend or person or a good Christian organization that they can link up with so that they can have support in this time and have someone to walk with them in their journey. God, we just want to see the world change for you. I just pray, God, as we leave here, you would keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. Let us never forget that you're an everyday God that we need to take with us everywhere we go and share with everyone we see. We just thank you for all that you do, and we pray that if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, that we will come together and give you the praise and the honor and the glory you're so worthy of. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.